what's up, Crypt Nation? Bryce Paul and the Notorious Pizza Mind coming at you per usual from the sunny and 70 San Diego. All right, so if you haven't heard yet, Pete's and I just finished writing a 290-page book called Crypto Revolution, Your Guide to the Future of Money. And we did this so that anyone anywhere in the world can learn about really how cryptocurrency and blockchain technology are putting the power back in the hands of the people. And really, we wrote this to equip the masses with the tools to profit from this revolution. So whether you invest in crypto or something else, the point is that you need to escape inflation, which is a hidden tax on your savings by investing in your future. And we think that crypto is really the hottest market, which has the most upside potential. And we are so confident that Crypto Revolution is the perfect starting point, whether you're the crypto curious or the seasoned investor just looking to learn about the world's newest asset class. All right. The best part is we're giving it away literally for free. Okay? For free. All we ask is you pay for shipping uh, just to help offset the cost of the book. We're literally making zero dollars on this and are just doing it to give back to our amazing community of listeners. All right. So go to CryptoRevolution.com today and get your free copy. All right. What is up, all you good, wonderful citizens of Crypt Nation? It is another episode of Crypto 101 Podcast with your hosts, Bryce Paul, and as always, accompanied by my best friend and the notorious Pizza Mind. Pizza Mind, what's cracking? That is a great question. So we had an amazing day yesterday as Bitcoin flash crashed and created another tremendous buying opportunity. But what we're going to be talking about today is completely different. Um, but if you have not yet checked out the weekly fire, you should definitely do so. And we would also like to thank our sponsors, Cog Network, for helping make this episode possible. Cog Network is geared for gains, so definitely check it out at cog.network. But what we're going to be talking about today is something different. It is called Blockstack. And these are one of the most wild contributors to this space. If you haven't heard of Blockstack, you're living under a rock. So yes. we have with us Munib Ali, the founder and CEO. Welcome to Crypto 101. Really excited to be here. Couldn't be more thrilled to have you join us. Um, you know, I've heard you speak before, and I think you just, you know, just personally, I think you have one of the most interesting backgrounds in crypto. So could you just start us off by acquainting uh, the audience with who you are and kind of how you got into uh, this whole cryptocurrency and blockchain world? Absolutely. So uh, my background is mostly in computer science. Uh, I did a PhD in distributed systems at Princeton University. And for the last, I would say like 15 years or so before uh, going, coming into crypto, I've been working in distributed systems. For those of you who don't know what that is, it's basically the research community that uh, designed kind of like the original version of the internet who worked on data centers, uh, large scale computing systems, right? So early versions of cloud computing, uh, what Google runs in data centers. So that's the research community that um, I come from. And I was originally kind of like working on uh, basically more secure internet infrastructure. And we discovered blockchains as a solution to some of the problems that, that uh, we've been uh, working on. And then, then that was the rabbit hole, right? So this is around 2013. 
uh, me and my co-founder Ryan, uh, we, we met at Princeton University as well. And we discovered blockchains, the Bitcoin blockchain. And after that, the rest is history, right? Like we, we are still working in this area. And I think for decades to come, we will probably be working in this area. Fascinating. Was, was there something uh, in particular, like a problem that you were trying to solve uh, that caused you to start Blockstack? Something maybe that like Bitcoin, uh, that blockchain would not be able to solve? Was there like, what was the impetus for starting Blockstack? Yes. Yeah, so um, I think going going back to the original problems, uh, think of the, this as the the research community around the core internet protocols. They're very aware of the shortcomings of the internet, right? Like at this point, the internet is like kind of like 40 years old or something. And some of the founding fathers like Windsurf, Sir Tim Berners-Lee, uh, David Clark, who was the chief protocol architect, he's a he's an MIT researcher. Most of them agree on the shortcomings of the internet, right? Like, um, basically, imagine that uh, on on Bitcoin, you can directly own your Bitcoin or you can directly own your address uh, without going through any company. But you cannot do that uh, on the internet right now. Like when you're making a username on Twitter. Uh, it's actually a username with with a company, and you don't directly own that, right? So it's 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 things like uh, where security and privacy is not baked into the core internet protocols, and that was broadly the the problem we were trying to solve. But one unique approach that we took is we have seen a lot of these uh, uh, university projects or research labs who would make a prototype or these research ideas would kind of like remain in the academic circles. And we took a unique approach of actually uh, stepping out of the university and raising venture capital to fund the initial R&D for building kind of like a next generation internet infrastructure and, and, and ended up discovering blockchains as a really good solution uh, for bootstrapping trust in the sense that on these networks, you don't want to trust anyone, right? Like you don't want to trust a company. You don't want to trust random people out there. And blockchains or specifically the Bitcoin blockchain is kind of like the best network out there uh, for anchoring uh, trust. Really, really fascinating. Really good breakdown as well. And, you know, you kind of touched on this idea that I want to expand upon um, because we want to get in, we want to get like uh, some good insight into how you see the future evolving. Uh, in particular, you know, there's many decentralized uh, public networks that offer, uh, you know, all, you know, all sorts of different things, whether it's privacy or digital identity, you know, you have, uh, Blockstack, we have Ethereum, we have Bitcoin, we have Decred. Will interoperability between these be a next logical step? Um, or, or what does that actually look like? Yeah, first of all, I think it's a, it's a great question. It's basically um, a, a lot of people have independently figured out that uh, beyond kind of like payments or store of value or kind of like a reserve cryptocurrency, which Bitcoin is, there is a big use case of blockchains in smart contracts or these Web3 types of applications, which are decentralized, more secure, more private. And in, in many ways, like as an industry, it's very as a tech industry, it's very clear to us that Web3 would emerge on top of blockchains. Like that is no longer a kind of like a controversial statement. Most people generally agree that yes, a future web, let's call it Web3, will emerge on top of blockchains. I think the question that still remains open is which blockchain in general, 
and that's where you know a lot of these different projects come in that have different technical designs or different ways of approaching uh, the same problem. And it's, I think it's entirely possible that there's more uh, interchain communications and 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 we see. Uh, traction kind of like going to not a single blockchain, but a group of blockchains. We, we're actually big believers in this. But before I get into interchain uh, kind of like communications, let's first understand uh, how Blockstack's approach is different Perfect. in the sense that we're actually big, big believers in Bitcoin, right? So the, the version one of the Stacks blockchain is literally built on top of Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin miners process all the transactions. Uh, and the version two, the Stacks 2.0 chain that we are uh, launching this summer, that is that basically uses this new concept of uh, proof of ta- transfer mining or POX. And what POX really says is that you you should go from electricity to a proof of work based cryptocurrency only once, right? Bitcoin is by far the biggest, most secure proof of work network out there. So instead of starting your own kind of like small island or, or starting your own blockchain that is trying to take electricity and convert it into a proof of work based cryptocurrency, which will always be less secure than Bitcoin, uh, why don't you use the proof of work cryptocurrency of Bitcoin to participate in mining for the new blockchain? And that that's a very interesting interchain uh, communication and, and actually uh, two crypto assets that can uh, have a very interesting interplay with, with each other where you're benefiting from the security of Bitcoin. So our thesis is that it's entirely possible that Web3 emerges on top of Bitcoin, right? So it's anchored in Bitcoin security, mm. but because Bitcoin itself needs to be kind of like stable and have limited functionality for security reasons, uh, you're not going to bake in smart contracts or these new types of features into Bitcoin itself. Uh, they emerge at a separate blockchain, let's say the Stacks uh, 2.0 blockchain, but they benefit from the security of Bitcoin. Right? So there's an interplay between things evolving around Bitcoin instead of uh, new, completely disconnected networks that are trying to solve problems. I, mean, I think that makes a ton of sense where you can kind of take you know, the best attributes of certain networks um, and, you know, you know, leverage them in different ways. And, and that makes a lot of sense. And so let's unpack uh, exactly what Blockstack is um, and, and kind of what you guys offer. I know that, uh, you know, I've played around on the platform before and I have my unique ID and I can use different apps uh, with that private key and I get digital identity and all sorts of cool stuff. But, you know, what, you know, break it down. What is Blockstack? Yeah, absolutely. So Blockstack is a software for a user-owned internet, right? So, and we're defining it broadly because uh, it's also the developer stack. So, if you're a developer and you uh, need, you know, you you basically need to build a decentralized, uh, secure application. There are different types of software libraries you need. You need to interact with the blockchain. You need a smart contract platform. You need storage and and, and so on. But as a user, you basically need to set up your credentials, uh, register your, your username that you own directly, and then get access to applications. And, and we uh, now have more than 400 applications built on the platform. So the project actually dates back to 2013, right? So it, it, it predates Ethereum. Whoa. Uh, but in many ways, we, we took a, a, a rather unique approach where uh, we raised venture capital uh, and do R&D work upfront. 
right? So imagine like initially it was just a bunch of computer scientists, most of them from Princeton, just because, you know, those were the kind of like the best uh, minds I knew uh, along with my co-founder. And, and basically we were trying to build the very solid foundations so that these these uh, app applications can scale to hundreds of millions of users, right? Like Because unless you do that, there's no point in building these throwaway things on top that can't even scale to a million or two million users, right? So we spent a lot of time doing that. And then again, like I think we ended up taking a, a little bit of a unique approach with even starting a blockchain and how the initial token distribution happens because we first did a token offering and that was more targeted towards larger institutional investors. And then we followed that with a full SEC qualified offering which was the first ever in history. So imagine that U.S. securities regulations have been around since 1933. And this was the first time that the SEC actually qualified an asset that's a crypto asset. And it's not traditional equity in a company, right? So that was, that was last year where uh, imagine that we, we operate as almost like a public company. Like we have full disclosures about our financial statements, our working of the company, like risk factors and all the information that investors should have if they want to uh, participate and, and have a financial stake in the success of the ecosystem. So I think those, those approaches are very unique uh, in the crypto industry where people usually just kind of like throw something out there uh, would just distribute tokens without you know looking too much into the regulations or would um, have designs that can't scale to hundreds of millions of users and they pay end up paying the price down. yeah you guys really paved the way for bringing crypto to a, a new heights really in terms of legal legitimacy so thank you for blazing that trail to you and just very very small handful of others that are going down that path Let's talk about apps on the platform. You mentioned there's 400 of them. What are some of your favorite ones that you would recommend people check out? Yep. So I, I get that question a lot. And I think uh, the way I answer is that I think there are some ideas that are very intellectually uh, interesting that, that we, can, we can go into. But I think the reality is that apps that you use on a daily basis are the ones that are that are, that are really useful and they have real utility. So what we are noticing in our community is that uh, some of the community members, they would actually send me email using this app called uh, Dmail, right? So it's a fully decentralized, private, secure email alternative. It's actually, it doesn't even use the email protocol uh, for sending these emails. It's a new thing built on top of Blockstack. And our community would use that to send me email. And interestingly, uh, because I get less email there, I'm actually more responsive. So it's a great way to, uh, to stay in touch with some of our uh, uh, active community members. And then similarly, you know, if, you, if you'll have a town hall, um, uh, people will be taking notes in this app called uh, Right Note, right? So it's, it's like, think of that as an Evernote-like app, but it's private, decentralized, you have your, your notes. And then people would be, let's say you want to publish a blog post, and there's this app called uh, Sigil, and people are publishing blog posts about Blockstack on a blogging app built on Blockstack, right? So it's, it's like a little bit of a, uh, similarly, uh, there is a Slack alternative called Mumble. So if people are online and they're chatting with each other, they're actually, again, using an, a real app built on Blockstack uh, to communicate with each other. And I think these are really healthy signs 
because th what this reminds me of is kind of like early days of Linux in a way where, you know, if you were a big supporter of open source or kind of like free software or user privacy, uh, you would be using uh, like the office alternative on Linux or, or kind of like these applications that you could also contribute to and an entire community started uh, farming yeah, these things. Yeah, I was just thinking of that uh, when you were mentioning it. I was thinking, wow, it almost sounds like a Linux distribution with its own little suite of tools. And I think that's super cool. I mean, it, you don't have to have anything that's wild and abstract. Just give people the basic necessities that they already use and just make it a little bit better. So that's a great strategy. And speaking of strategy, let's continue down that path because a lot of things that we notice in crypto, they have zero business plan. They have no idea what to do beyond, you know, reaching mainnet, which is like this magical pinnacle, or is it? So what is Stack's strategy for user acquisition? Yes. So I think we are, um, the way we are looking at Web3 is basically they're, they're, two things. One is there are certain problems with, let's call it Web 2.0, um, and Web 3 can solve those problems, right? And then those problems are broadly around kind of like the reliance on big tech companies like Facebook, right? Like imagine Facebook is able to control or influence your feed or, you know, how you react to things. And people are noticing the downside uh, effects of these things, or people are concerned about tracking and privacy online. And I think five years ago, people were less concerned. Now people are more concerned. We think five years from now, people will be a lot more concerned. So it's a general trend of kind of like shortcomings of Web 2, where Web 3 applications can address those problems. But I think it's, a, it's, a, it's still a subset of what's possible because a big category of Web 3 is actually new features things that were simply not possible in Web2. And I think these are smart contracts. These are automation of certain things at the blockchain layer. These are digital assets, like not just cryptocurrencies, but digital assets like in-game assets or uh, other types of, of like non-fungible tokens that can be created, can be traded. And we're seeing a lot of um, innovation in this space. Like imagine how many exchanges there are, how many types of cryptocurrencies already get traded. And these are all new features that simply didn't exist in, in Web2. So I, I, I absolutely agree with the, the, the business model aspect that we have, we have a lot of independent teams now that are building. And sometimes what they're building basically limits their ability to actually track people or sell their, their data, right? Which is the right. dominant business model in, in Web2, right? So we, we actually have that discussion a lot about business models um, in, in the Web3 setting and people are coming up with interesting things around subscription models. Like I think Brave is doing something very interesting where uh, you could you could potentially do microtransactions to, to support businesses. Or uh, I think there are interesting models around how can you make users and their time and attention and their data a part of the internet economy and give them a share of it, right? So if you're, if you're creating really high quality content um, on, a, on a Facebook like network, you can actually monetize it. Uh, and it's not just that only Facebook makes money out of it. eToro is one of the largest trading platforms in the world with over $1 trillion in trading volume on the platform every year. And they're some of our good friends and they're a great sponsor. U.S. customers can trade the most popular crypto assets and your fees are extremely transparent. So if you're not ready to trade yet, uh, you could also practice building your portfolio with the eToro virtual trading feature. They give you $100,000 of virtual money and you could start playing around with it. 
and not have to risk any of your real money before you get comfortable with the markets. And best of all, you can connect with 12 million other eToro traders around the world, kind of like a social network for trading, to discuss charts and all things crypto. So go ahead, create an account today at eToro.com slash crypto 101. That helps us, that helps you, that helps them, and makes everything possible here if you guys use that link. So guys, start building your portfolio the smart way. eToro is crypto trading made easy. All right, back to the show. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of platforms out there that offer the ability to let people monetize their data. Um, I, I need to wrap my head around, you know, why would Google or Facebook like those people that are the incumbents, let something like that happen and, and actually start paying us for our data or will they just, you know, will that not be the case? We'll just be completely. Hey guys, TiVo here to tell you about the Ufi Video Lock, a smart lock, a 2K camera and a doorbell all in one. That's right, three in one for triple the security. It's easy to install. All you need is a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. It gives you keyless entry, so no more fumbling your keys when you have your hands full coming back from the grocery store. No more worry about the kids losing a house key. No more worry about a guest losing the house key or forgetting the passcode on your door. And for Airbnbers, it's a no-brainer as you can change the passcode at will between renters. It has available fingerprint recognition and it has AI self-learning chips. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You will have no anxiety with the battery charging. It is a rechargeable battery and it lasts around four months. But don't worry, when it's low, it'll give you plenty of weeks notice. And also, it always comes with a physical key as a backup. There's no monthly fee, unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee to get your backup recording. They're always recorded locally and you will always have access. Customer support for the Eufy Video Lock is 24-7, so you don't have to worry about any issues you have, and it comes with an 18-month warranty. What I love about this product is it is truly all-in-one. With the three-in-one, you don't have to go out and buy multiple parts. It's all in this package with the Eufy Video Lock. So if you're interested in learning more, go on Amazon and search Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock. Again, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock. Get complete control over your front door. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details new companies that are going to be doing that? Yeah, I think, I think that goes back to, you know, let's go back to Web 1.0, which in my mind is kind of like desktop computers and uh, no mobile and no functionality uh, uh, of actually posting things from the users. It was very much like you can read websites, mm. right? Like it's, it was read-only mode. You couldn't, you couldn't post like a tweet or a picture 
on, on, on a platform, it was less interactive, right? And companies that were doing really well back then, like a Microsoft, actually struggled a lot to enter Web 2.0, really. Like they still don't make a lot of money from, uh, from advertising and user data. Like that's not Microsoft's business model. But Microsoft is still around in other ways, right? Similarly, I think what we're noticing with Web3 is some of the companies are kind of like completely ignoring this new trend. Um, Facebook is actually taking it more seriously. Uh, and that's, that's the entire uh, initiative ar- around Facebook Libra, where even, even all the way to Mark Zuckerberg, like if you, if you remember like this year, his entire focus was on privacy social networks. Right, and he was he was basically trying to he he can see I think he's very good at seeing things that can potentially disrupt Facebook, and he tries to proactively think about how to adapt. And I think whereas if you look at a, like a Google or a Amazon, you barely see them doing anything in crypto. Uh, and I think that that might be a blind spot where they're not realizing uh, where the world is heading to, and they're not proactively trying to work on it. How do you? you see data standards emerging in crypto and blockchain someday? For example, Cardano. I mean, just this is one of the things that uh, I talk about with uh, Fireblocks, for example. Fireblocks is a platform for institutional grade companies to safely transact enormous amounts of crypto. And I said, you know, do you guys have Cardano? They said, well, maybe someday, but it costs like $50,000 to integrate and a month to complete. They need all those engineers to hire just to do this thing. And I said, whoa, that's insane. And I heard the same thing from another wallet company. So it wasn't just them. So I was like, damn, that's that's really limiting. If only we had some kind of common standards and APIs and calls or, or whatever the case was, you know, it'd be so helpful. So in an environment that's built from the ground up to allow for disagreement and mod- modification, it's kind of come back to bite us in a way because nothing really works very well together. How do you think this might get fixed at some point? Yeah, so I would, I would, great question, right? So I would divide that into two things. One is how do different blockchains and and the respective wallets and and services um, can get easily integrated with each other because they there are standards that start emerging around it, right? So this is this is something we have actually experienced firsthand. Let me give you an example. Uh, um, so. So the, the the so the stacks token, which is uh, the fuel for the network, so it's kind of similar to how ETH works for gas, for smart contracts and digital assets, uh, but but there are interesting differences as well, and we can we can uh, get into it later. But stacks tokens, due to regulations, doesn't currently trade in the U.S. but trades internationally, so it's on Binance. And when you know these engineers uh, wanted to integrate our blockchain. Uh, they they were like oh so it's a new blockchain and so they ha- they have to go to, through a learning curve to in- integrate the new blockchain whereas if this was a simply a ERC twenty type token on top of Ethereum um, you know y- you can easily integrate it right so in some ways standards like ERC twenty um, can help with such things when you're talking about um, how easy it is to integrate new blockchains new wallets new new types of services and I think that's one category. Of, uh, of things where I generally think that standards uh, will emerge. And it's also like, you know, usually in technologies, there's a phase where lots of experimentation happens. Lots of people are trying different variations and different design decisions. And then consolidation starts to happen where winners start to emerge. And then the winners end up kind of like riding the, 
uh, writing the standards. But there's a there's a separate side of data standards which is super interesting to us, and which is around standards around user data, right? And the reason why that's interesting to us is already on Blockstack there are actually multiple blogging plat. Uh, applications. There are multiple noting applications. So imagine that that because in, in Blockstack's design, the data is written with the user, right? So everyone gets not only their universal username that works on every app without passwords, uh, but they also get their own private home drive, right? And all the app data has been written to your private home drive. So if I'm using one note-taking app, I can just switch to the other app. And it's almost like switching the, 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 the graphical interface, right? Because the underlying format, if, you, if both of them agree on the same format, your notes can magically appear in the new, uh, new note-taking app. Or your photos or your pictures can magically appear in a new photo-sharing app. And that is something that we're super interested in because what that means is that users not only own their data, but the data becomes very portable as well. That's one of the biggest reasons you can't leave Facebook because you can't take your data with you. Or more importantly, your data is not useful because you can't really just plug it into something else where it will be useful, right? So when data standards emerge around user data, uh, it actually opens up a lot of opportunities uh, for developers, for users. It makes things operate like a marketplace, right? Where you know data and you'll go to the best application that provides the best user interface to you. And this is something that Jack Dorsey, I think, understands where they started the initiative around uh, the uh, a potential decentralized social network where Twitter could be just a client and the underlying data is a protocol and there are standards around it. Wow, amazing. Um, so, so let's jump on over to the XTX uh, token and mining. And I kind of want to know, um, a little bit about you know how how is XTX mined? How is it different from you know Bitcoin mining, for instance? And you know really what's what's giving this thing value? Yep. So I think let's let's first go to our model of you know we believe in a world where um, new blockchains can be anchored to Bitcoin's security, and this is how we have designed our consensus mechanism. Uh, so the way our consensus mechanism works is the Stacks 2.0 blockchain is a separate blockchain. And imagine that it interconnects or intercommunicates with Bitcoin. So the miners, uh, first, first of all, the Stacks token is consumed when people are running smart contracts. We have a, a smart contract language called Clarity. It's a, the, the way to differentiate it is basically it's very precise and very secure, right? Like when you're writing smart contracts, we believe that the only thing you want to optimize for is the security of the contracts and how you can reason about them. Reasoning meaning that you know what this program can and cannot do even before running it, right? So when, when developers are publishing these, these uh, Clarity smart contracts, uh, Stacks tokens are being consumed to run the contracts, right? Which is something that Bitcoin doesn't have. And there's very good reason that Bitcoin should not have that functionality at the Bitcoin layer. Uh, and, and, and so for the, for the Stacks tokens, they're kind of like fuel for the network. And miners, basically, their incentive to mine is to collect the newly minted Stacks tokens plus any transaction fees and plus any uh, Clarity contract execution fees, right? So it's very, very, very similar to mining on other network where miners come in and they have an incentive to kind of like operate the nodes, write new blocks and collect these fees. But what's different is that typically miners would have their cost 
expressed as you know their upfront uh, investment into ASICs or computing hardware plus their cost of electricity. Whereas here, their cost is is expressed in Bitcoin, right? So you're not spending any money on hardware. You're not spending any money on, on electricity. You're actually mining uh, using Bitcoin, right? So you're sending transactions at the Bitcoin layer uh, to participate in the mining process. And if you get selected as a leader, you can like write the next block and collect all the fees and, and rewards uh, for yourself. So there's a very interesting interplay between the crypto asset Bitcoin and the Stacks asset, where the Stacks holders, not only by holding Stacks, uh, you now can register usernames that work on these 400 applications, or you can run uh, the smart contracts and, and, and all of the functionality, but you can also participate in consensus by kind of like locking up your Stacks for, let's say, a, a, a month and sending certain useful information on the blockchain. Right. So the way mining works is miners are actually sending Bitcoin to the Stacks holders. Right. So in, in some ways, you can even model this as a payout to the Stacks holders and, the, and they're earning Bitcoin. And initially, people like take a while to wrap their head around this, right? Because by, by owning one crypto asset, you can earn the other crypto asset. But the other crypto asset is not just any crypto asset. It is Bitcoin. It is the reserve cryptocurrency of the world. Yeah. People value that. There, right? There's so, nothing so else that, like that. that. Yes. So I think that that is a very interesting model where what you're really saying is that instead of like these small islands of blockchains appearing, there can be a lot of innovation around Bitcoin and Bitcoin can establish itself as the reserve cryptocurrency and other interesting crypto assets can have an interplay between Bitcoin and, and the new cryptocurrency. That's one of those fascinating things I've ever heard. Like, why aren't more companies doing this? Uh, was it really difficult and costly versus just spinning up an ERC-20 token? What was the experience like creating something like this? Yeah, so I think I think for ERC-20, like, uh, my reservations are different. Like, it's basically... For the last five plus years, uh, I'm I'm kind of like in the camp that the Ethereum main design doesn't really scale, and I think now it's widespread accepted in the industry that yes, ETH 1.0 doesn't scale, and they're working on ETH 2.0, right? So starting starting a system like Blockstack as a ERC20 token just fundamentally doesn't work because we want our applications to scale to hundreds of millions of users, which they can today, by the way, right? So this was the R&D work we did for years uh, beforehand. The apps built on our network can today support 100 million users. Like you can scale it out. Uh, and that is something that just cannot happen on Ethereum right now. So if you are an ERC-20 token, you're also limited by the underlying scalability properties of ETH 1.0. And you're kind of like looking at the research that's going into ETH 2.0 and kind of like waiting on that. So that's, that's, that was one of the reasons that we, we have our own blockchain and our own designs. But in general, I, I think the, uh, this idea of linking new blockchains with Bitcoin is relatively new. That's the POX proof of transfer paper that we published literally uh, a couple of weeks ago. It's been in the works for the last six months. And, but we've been circling this idea for many years, right? So remember, we, even the 1.0 chain was built on top of Bitcoin. We have been uh, kind of like playing around with ideas where people could burn Bitcoin to participate in consensus. But this was like even better because you're not destroying Bitcoin. Uh, you're actually transferring them 
to the holders of, of the new blockchain crypto asset. And those holders are doing some work for the network, right? So it's all about incentives and interlinking uh, uh, two blockchains together, which we are, we are super so excited. So do I need to have these Bitcoin ASIC miners in a huge farm or can I use my computer? What do I need to mine ASIC? Yep. You, you don't need any hardware. That's the beauty of it, right? So you just need Bitcoin and our software, the, our, uh, the Stacks blockchain uh, mining software. And interestingly, so here, here's another interesting thing. Typically, miners are either very sophisticated parties who have access to electricity and large amounts of ASICs, or they might be just hobbyists who are just mining on some small chain, right? In, in our case, I think we, we will likely see, you know, sophisticated miners or companies or hobbyists as well. But there's a, there's a new demographic that might, might be uh, the demographic that your podcast speaks to. And those are just cryptocurrency traders, right? Because you could model mining on our network as a STX BTC trading pair, right? And there's already a trading pair on Binance or, you know, other exchanges. And there is a potential arbitrage opportunity, especially in the early days of mining, when mining right. is not that um, that efficient. Where because a miner is going to mine only if they can make a profit, and their cost of the Bitcoin that they're spending is less than you know the market rate of uh, STX BTC, right? And that that's how we have designed the game theory here, where you know if 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 that uh, that profit margin goes down and less miners participate, then, you know, some of them will drop out and there are people leaving money on the table. So more, more people will come in. Right. So it's, it's all kind of like game theory around this, but it, this opens up like any, any, any cryptocurrency trader who has done, you know, was written like arbitrage bots between different exchanges. They can actually model mining in that way. And that's a new type of a demographic that could get interested in mining. Love it. That's super fascinating. I just love that, you know, there's such innovation here. Um, you know, we speak to projects day in and day out and just never have come across quite a project like yours. Um, and plus with the, uh, the regulation, uh, a, I think it was the regulation a plus offering is what you guys did or the reg D. Yeah, it was a regulation a plus that got qualified by the sec and the reg D was for institutional investors, uh, before that. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So, I mean, all the work that you guys are doing, uh, on that, on that front and the, the technological front, it's just really impressive. And, you know, before we let you go, uh, Munib, we just have a couple closing questions that we like to ask uh, every guest that comes on Crypto 101. How's that sound? Absolutely. And, and, and thank, thank, thank you for your support. Absolutely. My pleasure. Um, the first question, and personally, my, like my favorite question uh, that we get to ask everybody is, you know, who is one person in the crypto space that you really admire? Somebody that has had a tremendous uh, impact on you, maybe personally or uh, academically? I think one, just from the top of my mind, uh, I think Balaji is one person. He uh, got introduced to Blockstack back in the day. This is like 2014 or so. And one thing interesting that I've noticed about Balaji is in some ways, he's a couple of years ahead of the industry, right? Like the stuff he's talking about, you really have to think through it to reach the kind of conclusions that he has reached but he's usually like way ahead of the curve. So it's like, he's, he's a fascinating person to, 
to, to spend time with. We actually did a meetup with him just last week in Austin. And I think the video is blank where it's kind of like brain food for people. Like he just talks for like one hour uh, with, with one of the Blockstack team members, Patrick. And, and the kind of ideas there, let me, let me, let me um, yeah, I, I think you need to watch that to, to understand what, what, what I'm really talking about. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to go find, or maybe you could uh, ping me over the link following this recording. That'd be amazing. I will. Perfect. Um, and then the, the, uh, another question that we'd like to ask is, you know, what's one company apart from Blockstack uh, that you think is having a tremendous impact and, and what are they doing? So uh, I think this one, uh, for me, it might sound like a more typical answer, but I'll explain why I, I would say Coinbase. So Coinbase, mm-hmm. like we are close to them because, you know, Union Square Ventures is, is one of our main investors. They lead the early rounds of Coinbase as well. But I think they, they, they did something very interesting where they uh, were designing a system that was optimizing for the mass market. And it might not have been something that the, the, the hardcore Bitcoin builders would like to see because, you know, they would take custody of, of, of your crypto assets. But I think that overall, they've had a net positive impact on this industry and really have made it easy for normal everyday people to get access to Bitcoin and, and other, other cryptocurrencies. And they've also had a very big focus on compliance and regulations, which is something that might go against the the kind of like freedom type values of crypto and i think navigating that very well and striking a balance is something that in some ways blockstack also tries to do right like we have a focus on compliance and regulations yet the technology that we are supporting fundamentally stands for freedom of speech and open networks and i think finding that balance uh, is the, one of the reasons that i would i would pick coinbase as as a company that's a great rationale and finally, our last question is, if this was the first podcast someone getting into the space heard, what would you... So I think I've... Um, think about like how many times you've heard Web3 and Bitcoin in the sense. Not a lot, right? So we, we should be asking ourselves the question that why couldn't Web3 emerge on top of Bitcoin, which is by far the most secure blockchain, the biggest ecosystem, the biggest kind of like brand name as well. Like most people get introduced to crypto through through Bitcoin. And similarly, I think one takeaway about Blockstack would be that, you know, we're not one of those projects that, you know, just optimize for uh, market caps and trading. In fact, I think we are we're probably still not even on the coin market cap top 100. Uh, we've just been focused on kind of like doing things the right way and actually building uh, value. And the design decisions, the technical design decisions that we ended up making are drastically different from the rest of the crypto industry, right? So if there's like one thing people should dig more into is how radically different is Blockstack's approach and how can that might might be something that, that, that people are interested in, especially if they want to see uh, Web3 emerge on, on top of Bitcoin. Very well said. Uh, Munib, thank you so much for, for spending the last 45 minutes with us here on Crypto 101 Podcast. If anybody uh, who's listening um, wants to get involved with Blockstack, where can we point them to? Uh, I think Blockstack.org is a great place. We we have a very healthy community of open source uh, developers, and and you know we, we do these like town halls where 
up to like 100 150 people show up and it's it's like a thriving ecosystem and and i think just following the links to our community from blocksec.org uh, would be one way and uh, you know we are available on on twitter at blockstack and i'm personally uh, at munib just my first name there brilliant Alrighty, well that does it for us today on Crypto 101 and we look forward to speaking with you hopefully again soon uh, at, at maybe one of the next big releases that you guys have. Absolutely, would love to come back and talk about uh, potentially the launch of Stacks 2.0. Oh, brilliant. I'd love, I'd love to get that on the books. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Ciao. mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.